Good, Singy. Maybe see them. Having heard the report about Botswana, that last song we sang is very fitting. Um, certainly in South Africa, where I grew up, that was a very popular song with the African communities because you could do all the actions. And uh, many times I've been out in the villages and doing the marching and the crossing and the and I can, while we were singing it, it was so vivid in my mind, I thought, wow, uh, you obviously did some good there, brother. Um, <clears throat> well, tonight, we're, this is our last message in the Normal Christian Life series. Um, we're going to tie up some loose ends by learning what it means to walk with God and to work without working to walk without working. Um, these and other contradictions I hope we'll be able to resolve this evening. But first, let's do a recap of where we've come from. Uh, we've spoken about the extraordinary provision that God has made for us, for those who accept his plan of the redemption and salvation through the blood of the Lamb, through Christ's death on the cross, through his resurrection, we are all translated from the doomed kingdom, kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love, a kingdom of light that will never end. By the grace of God, we are adopted into his family and made joint heirs, equals with Jesus Christ. Uh, even as you, I speak those words, the, the immensity of them is so real to be made a joint heir with the king of kings of the universe, not just of any earthly realm, but of the universe, to become a joint heir by the simple step that each one of us have taken of bowing the knee and yielding to him and asking him to save us. What a, a glorious heritage we have. And because of that, we present ourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, claiming no purpose in life, no agenda, no personal wants or aims or ambitions outside of his will for us. If we really understand what God wants of us and what he has provided for us, any thought of doing anything but yielding to him seems crazy. The better you get to know him, the more you want to serve him. Um, when we present ourselves to him, it doesn't mean we want to do anything or be anything uh, because he doesn't want our works. He doesn't want our well-intended promises. He wants us. And that in itself is an amazing thought. The God who created heaven and earth wants us. And he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to love us. He wants us to receive his love and he wants to experience our love returned to him. He wants to fellowship and share the administration of the universe with us as his dear children, adopted by him, loved by him, empowered by him, and glorified by him. 
His spirit takes up residence in us. But some, very few it seems, recognize the divine ownership of their lives. While it seems that most of God's people still want to be their own masters. And that's only because uh, it's, it's not generally appreciated, I don't think, that the one thing God wants is for us to get close to him. Just get to know him. Just spend time with him. Draw close to him. Because when you do, you realize that literally the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If we do not give the Holy Spirit authority over us, he can be present in us, but not powerful in us. And if we don't have his power in our lives, it's very difficult to live the Christian life as God would have us live. So let's begin by answering the question, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And let's begin by praying before we get there. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together this evening. Thank you for this report about Botswana and our dear, dear friend Pam Wheeler and a marvelous young lady, Lord, who's uh, done so much good in your name in that place. Thank you for her parents who have raised such godly children. And thank you for this place, Lord, and our gathering here tonight. I pray that you bless the word as it uh, goes forth. I pray that you keep my mind clear and give each of us attentive hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Though Christians are in Christ, and Christ is in us, giving ourselves access to all that he is, including his divine nature, a great paradox of the Christian life is that we can choose to live in our own strength, following our own wills, doing or fulfilling our own agendas. We, that is a free choice we have. Despite all God has done for us, and what he has in store for us, we can decide we want to do our own thing. And when we do, it is Adam we experience, not Christ. That Adam, that old nature, the Adam who was crucified with Christ. But that hangover, those memories, those habits that we developed while we served Adam and grew with Adam that linger with us, grow stronger as we walk away from Christ, grow weaker as we walk towards Christ, as we yield more to him. Um, the thought that we still experience Adam is, is a horrible thought. If you pause to consider what Adam did and the grief he brought on this world, but the tug of that old Adamic nature is still so strong. If we want to know all that is in Christ, we must learn to walk in the Spirit. And that simply means yielding moment by moment to God's will and trusting that the Holy Spirit will do in us what we can't do for ourselves. And that means listening to that still, small voice that is so easy to ignore. If you pay attention God is constantly speaking to you and to me. That voice is there all the time. Uh, he wants to direct our lives. 
And yet it's so easy in the distractions of daily life to ignore that voice or not even to hear it and then to wonder why we reach dead ends and how did we get here? Well, it's because we missed a turn way back there because the voice spoke to us and we were focused on other things. It means, walking with God means not trying but trusting, not struggling but resting, to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. As Moses said to the Israelites in a very difficult place, the Egyptian army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them, and it was natural for them to panic and to look to the left and look to the right and wonder where they were going to go. And Moses' injunction to them is as relevant to us today. Stand still, look up, and wait for the salvation of the Lord. The key to living such a transformed life is found in understanding and believing Galatians 2.20. One little verse that says everything we need to know about living the Christian life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a verse. What a statement. What a reality. By the way, that last phrase, I live by the faith of the Son of God, could equally mean by the faithfulness of the Son of God. His faithfulness to me enables me to live victoriously. It could also mean by faith in the Son of God. My faith in him enables me to live victoriously. And if you want to put all of that into one sentence, it simply means that Christianity is not a changed life, but an exchanged life. He has exchanged his life for mine. And that is an amazing thought. And because his whole life is my possession, is in me, there's, in a way we don't understand, his whole life is my life. And I can walk in that life if I choose to do so and if I'm attentive to his voice. Christ is our substitute within. We must know it and believe it and rest in it for it to be our daily experience. We must spend time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, in his presence, looking to him until his presence becomes more real than ours to us. And as I've said often, It's easier said than done. But one of the keys is every time we fail, and we will, every time we mess up, and we will, every time we don't listen to the voice, and we'll often not listen to the voice, all we have to do when we recognize where we are is stop, say we're sorry, and readjust and say, Lord, I want to take the next step with you. And you know, God never has bad feelings about us. God never gets so mad at us that he holds a grudge. He has a chip on his shoulder because we fail him so often. The wonder of the Christian life is that God's response every time we stop and say to him, I'm sorry, help me to take the next step. He's so delighted. It's as if it's the first day of our lives. He loves our response to him. 
And if we can just grasp that, so often we feel covered by shame because, oh, I messed up again. And then we withdraw from God. All he wants to do is to hear us say, I'm sorry. I messed up again. He knows that, of course. And I'd like to keep walking with you. And he's, yes, that's what I wanted to hear from you. I can imagine the creator of the universe getting excited about, think of it, you. Your little life can excite and delight the creator of heaven and earth when you simply turn to him in love and tell him you want to experience more of him. When we do this, we will stop praying for peace or holiness or patience or love or faith as if these are commodities that can be purchased in a grocery store. God is not a heavenly retailer dispensing grace to us in little bags, measuring out some patience to the impatient or some love to the unloving. And I wish I had said that first. I don't know where I read it or heard it or it just was, I found it in my notes one day and I just thought that is perfect. That's not who God is. Um, all we need is found in Jesus Christ. Everything we need. When we have him, we have everything all at once. You know, Galatians 5.22 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. It's the fruit. It's one fruit. Now, that fruit has different aspects. It has love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness, temperance, or self-control. Those are nine aspects of one fruit. So, when we go to God, we don't pray for, Lord, I need more faith or I need more patience. No, I just need more of Jesus. And when I get more of Jesus, I get all of that stuff in one package. That's all God ever wants us to do. Just understand, get close to Jesus and you'll have everything you need. Our personal deficiency doesn't matter. God has only and always one sufficiency. Jesus Christ. He is the complete answer to our every single need. Just seek more of Jesus. Just spend an extra five minutes with him. Just take this book and read it for an extra five minutes. Just go for a walk and think about Jesus for another five minutes. Every time we turn to him, we are strengthened by him. And his completeness satisfies the need in us. When we're confronted by circumstances that expose our needs and deficiencies, we must allow God to replace them with Christ's fullness. And we do that by acknowledging that our flesh is weak, by acknowledging that, yes, I mess up. I'm not good. I'm not strong. I'm not great. I have deficiencies. I have problems. But you knew that, God, when Jesus died on the cross for me. And so I'm just telling you that I agree with you. Yes, I am a mess. But I want more of Jesus. Because I understand what a mess I am. Oh, I desire more of Jesus. One of the problems that gets in our way is our old stature. Not statue, but our stature. You know, it's when we think we're a little better than we really are. Look at 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. See if you see yourself here. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men of the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world. That means things that don't have any value in themselves. And things which are despised as God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You and I qualify. We're nothings. We're nobodies. That's who God chooses. Because he doesn't want anyone to stand in his presence and even have the thought that, yeah, well, God did most of the work, but I kind of helped him a little. No. There's... Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, let him that glorious glory in the Lord. Make that your habit, your daily habit of glorying in him. Well, there's another aspect that we can look at. And that is looking at God and living. Look and live. This whole issue of walking with God, walking in the Spirit, is so fundamental, so important in our lives. Uh, let's look at it again from a slightly different angle. Galatians 2.20 is echoed in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. It says exactly the same thing. The law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus frees us from the law of sin and death. That's it. The law of the Spirit of Christ frees us from the law of sin and death. But while we live in this present evil world, we'll always be exposed to the law of sin and death. We're surrounded by it. It's part of us. A negative law that, cannot that we cannot confront in our own strength and cannot defeat by our own will. You know, one of the greatest blasphemies of every religion on earth is that it tells people if you exercise your will, if you really focus, if you try really hard and do A, B, C, and D and will yourself to get close to God, you can do it. Not understanding that when we exercise our will to do things for God, instead of just surrendering to God, yielding to God, saying, here I am, take me just as I am. When we exercise our wills, we make our wills stronger and start stumbling over them because they get in the way of our God. Our wills interfere with God's will, and only his will is strong enough to deliver us from sin and death. We are not to will but to yield. Isaiah 40 and verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And I've preached on this before. It's worth repeating that waiting on God doesn't mean standing at a bus stop and waiting for the bus to arrive. It means you're like a waiter in a high-end restaurant and you're focused on one person. That person sitting at that table is your uh, duty to serve. And you watch him like a hawk. If he moves his pinky, sir, can I help you? You've got your little white towel over your arm. And you're waiting on him just to, yes, I need something. I need a glass of water. I need the next dish. Whatever it is, I'm waiting 
to meet his needs. That's what Isaiah means when he tells us to wait on the Lord. Not for, to wait for him to come and rescue us. No, you go and wait on him, focus on him, draw strength from him. We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, experiencing his glorious victory in our lives when we learn not to focus on our problems, our challenges, for that only makes them stronger. The more you focus on your weakness, the stronger your weakness becomes. We focus instead on Jesus, waiting upon him, enabling him to become stronger in us, to live through us. And there's another wonderful principle in Numbers chapter 21, verses 6 to 9. Uh, the Israelites had been constantly sinning, turning their backs on God, and finally God sends a bunch of fiery serpents into the camp. The word fiery there means poisonous. A lot of poisonous snakes invaded their camp, and people started to die. And the text tells us the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take, the way, take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. Surely it can't be that simple. But it is. You and I have been bitten by the poisonous serpent of sin. And the remedy is not to sweat and strain and promise and gnash your teeth, but to look on him. The image of the snake was a symbol of the curse that the Israelites were experiencing. Lifting the snake up on a pole indicated that the curse would be removed if the people looked at it. Their looking was a sign of their faith. Jesus later alluded to it to illustrate his purpose. He would become the curse and be lifted up on the cross and later would be lifted up much higher to his throne in heaven so that anyone who looked by faith to him would live. He said as much to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever looketh upon him, should not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2 says pretty much the same thing in a little more detail. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you hath he quickened, that word quickened means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. By the way, Notice how these children are identified. They are disobedient. Disobedience to God and to his will is the ultimate sin. The disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation or our conduct in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, 
and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of your striving, not of your promising, not of your sweating, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, in his good works. Wow. It doesn't leave much for us to do except to look and live, except to focus on Jesus, except to yield, except to take that step that past that one thing that maybe holds us away from him. To come to the place, and I know how hard it is to do, where we finally say to him, I give up, here I am, take me just as I am and do anything you want with my life. I trust you with my life. That's the most difficult thing for us to do. And it's the one thing that God desires. It's the only way in which we can live up to the impossible standards demanded by God in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Luke chapter 17, 5 to 10, gives us another amazing little clue. Uh, I've also preached on this in the past, but it's worth mentioning again. Uh, Luke 17, 5 to 10, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That seems like a reasonable request. And notice Jesus' reply. The Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamine tree or mulberry tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he's coming from the field, go and sit down to meet? What on earth has this got to do with answering the question, increase our faith? It seems like Jesus forgot the question and is now off on a tangent. Who of you, having a servant, will say to him when he comes, when he's finished his job, uh, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. I trust not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which have commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. What does that have to do with, Lord, increase our faith? It has everything to do with it. What Jesus is saying here, if you'll just put me first, don't think of yourself, think of me. We, we tend to think, okay, I'm going to go to church twice on a Sunday. Boy, that's going to earn some rewards from God. And on a Wednesday night as well. Oof. There's some big payoffs coming from that. Lord, look what I've done for you. And he says, no, no, you got, you got it all wrong. You've got to come and see what I want before you decide that you know what I want. Do my will first. And don't expect me to pat you on the back when you just do what's expected of you. You know, if you walk with me, God says, that's what you're supposed to do. Don't expect uh, a big prize, me to make a big fuss over you. Just do the simple things that I expect of you. 
We cannot walk in the Spirit until we wait on the Lord like that attentive waiter. So let's close by resolving the contradiction of death and life. When we look at all God has provided for us and all that he requires from us, it seems to be full of contradictions, not least of which is the requirement to do a lot of things for God without sweating while we do a lot of things for God. There's another contradiction. The primary requirement to solve that first contradiction, contradiction, do a lot of things for God without actually doing a lot of things for God. Uh, the other contradiction is, in order to do anything for God, you've got to die. Well, dead people can't do anything. Aha! That's the point. That's the point. To solve this puzzle, understand that Jesus Christ is our sufficiency. He is the answer to our every human need, the perfect fulfillment of every human desire. We don't fully understand what this means. I see some of you frowning at me like, what is he talking about? I don't fully understand it, and I'm trying to teach you. No, but none of us can understand it, but I'll tell you what the cure is. Just spend a lot of time looking at Jesus. Spend a lot of time waiting on Jesus. And gradually, you'll begin to understand, and the picture becomes clear, and you'll feel stronger and better. But when we don't understand it, it's possible that you quickly grow discouraged and you look elsewhere for answers, and that's a big mistake. And this is why God confronts us with circumstances that expose our needs and where we fall short so that he can replace them with Christ when we turn to him finally and ask for help. The key question we must answer is this. Will I allow God to change me when he begins to mold me on the potter's wheel? When I say to him, take me, Lord, I'm yours. Do what you will with me. I know there's a bunch of stuff in my life that needs fixing. Here I am. Fix me. Will we stay on the potter's wheel when he begins to mold us? Or will we draw back, resent him, resist him, and even rebuke him? You know, Job never got quite that far to rebuke God, but he went far enough that God finally scared him. God rebuked him with very stern words. Read that for yourself. Uh, Job got perilously close to rebuking God, and so do we, by the way, when things get tough. How can God do this to me? Well, he can, because he's God. And you've got to trust that he loves you with a perfect love and knows precisely what it is you need in that moment. Are you hungry enough for God's fullness to fully surrender to him? Or does the sawdust you've been eating still taste pretty good to you? Have you identified the thing that holds you back? Are you ready to let it die? Dead people can't do anything, but resurrected people can do an awful lot. It's your life to sacrifice and his life to gain. And as you struggle with your choices, look up. See your destiny. Eye hath not seen, 
nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And there should be a picture there, right there, on cue. Look up. That is the Milky Way. That is just a fraction of the vast universe that is our inheritance. That's our life. That's our future. We're going to be living there. We're going to be there in God's presence, seated around his throne forever. That's where we're headed. It makes all the trials of this life seem so puny by comparison. And all our desires and ambitions seem pointless in the face of that. Keep that picture in mind and yield yourself fully to God and you'll never be disappointed. Father, help us.